I'd like to have Louie come lead worship one day. Wouldn't that be something? Writers of the Declaration wrote this. Declaration of Independence wrote this. The history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having a direct object of the establishment of the absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let the facts be submitted to a candid world. From that, the writers of the Declaration wrote 27 facts to the reason why they ought to be liberated. Among them, he, meaning the king, has refused the assent of laws, the most wholesome and necessary for public good. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance unless suspended their operation till his assent should be obtained. He has dissolved the representative houses repeatedly of the colonies for opposing with manly firmness his invasions of the rights of his people. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and to eat out their substance. It goes on and on and on, and then it ends. He says, for every, the, the uh, writers of the Declaration, for every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant unfit to be ruler of a free people. Where do you find comfort? That's the question we have this morning. Where do you find comfort? For the enslaved Africans, it was often through song, like the one that Louis Armstrong has just sung. It's an old spirit, Negro spiritual song, as they would call. And they would sing that exact song in the fields of the Old South. In life of misery, oppression, injustice, and exploitation. They had nowhere to go. Thankfully, someone had introduced many of these people to the Lord. And as they were in the fields, they would begin to um, write these songs to find comfort. They would rely on the facts of Scripture, of, in this particular case, of Moses and the Pharaoh, and the way that the Egyptians finally let his people go. The slaves during that time saw a direct correlation with the, with the Jews in the times of Egypt. And... I don't know if it's ironic or not, but the American colonists also saw, prior to the Declaration of Independence, a parallel between the Jewish people and the Egyptians. In fact, from about 1730-something all the way up until the mid-1770s, there was an un... Um, how do I say this? A, uh, a wave of churches that preached through the book of Exodus. It wasn't coordinated 
from all accounts, it was something of the Lord. But by the time that the declaration was announced and signed, some would say nearly every church in the 13 colonies had been uh, taken through the book of Exodus. The colonists saw a great parallel between the oppression of the British government and what was going on in America as the slaves were seeing a great injustice and a great tyranny over their lives in the colonies. Isn't that rich in irony or something? I just find that fascinating that they were both seeking comfort in the midst of oppression, injustice, and exploitation. The colonists, their future hope was found in declaring an independence based on God's design of living free. Now let's look at ourselves, our own individual lives. When we step in it, that's a nice way of saying we're in a mess. We've sinned greatly. And we think, oh my gosh, I've done it again. It's oftentimes we find comfort in that future hope found in Scripture that says, this too shall pass. When we speak of this idea of blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's much deeper than, and I don't mean to say this in a trite way, but oftentimes people gravitate to this verse when they've lost someone dear to them. And that is true. This, com- this uh, verse is for that. But it's just not for that. As we've heard in, in the song that Louis Armstrong sang in, in the declaration here, and then we consider our own lives, it's much, much deeper. When we have godly sorrow, when we know that something has happened to us that is gravely unjust, and we have nowhere to turn, we sense we have nowhere to turn, where do we go for comfort? These words in the Beatitudes are gracious words that are like a honeycomb that are sweet and nourishing to the soul and healthy for our body. This verse brings out three of God's characteristics and forces us to examine where our comfort comes from. The verse brings out God's decreed will. Remember, Jesus is speaking this to a a group of people who have been oppressed and exploited and have been... uh, uh, had have had grave injustices against them by the Roman government. And if they were Jewish, many of the Jews would say that would be representative of their pastors of the time, the priests, the high priest and the priest and the Sanhedrin and, and, and the re- religious ruling authorities. And yet Jesus is speaking these words. He is Lord. He is God. His will is when we are mourning in an ironic, paradoxical way. We're actually blessed. Because it drives us to find comfort in Him. 
part of the suffering that we experience isn't just because of judgment, because we've done something wrong. Sometimes it has maybe nothing to do with what we've done. It may be something that God is trying to teach us. It refines our character a bit. And so when we find ourselves in difficult situations and we are suffering, maybe part of God's design is to cause us to get to that place where we are poor in spirit. And being poor in spirit leads us to that godly sorrow. And that, oh my gosh, life isn't working like I had designed for it to work. This wasn't part of the plan. What is God teaching me through this? And when we find that, we are comforted. And we're like, yes, that's it. The second thing that this brings out in God's character is His justice. For we know that there will come a day when He will right every wrong. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will come a time, not only will there be justice, but there will also be mercy. For are there times in our lives where we have sinned gravely and we have hurt someone else? And we begin to have that godly sorrow overwhelm us and overcome us. And there's Jesus extending his mercy to us and comforting us in the midst of our pain. The third, this is God's goodness. Where else are you going to find comfort and solace that is absolutely going to cause you to eventually have peace in your life? Sure, there's a whole bunch of strategies. You listen to Oprah. You can listen to Dr. Phil. You can go to the self-help sections of any of the books or any of the bookstores or on Amazon. And there are hundreds of books. You could even go to magazine articles. Hundreds and thousands. My question is, why do they keep coming back? Shouldn't just one article be written about it? And then everybody just go to that one article because that one article is the truth or that one book is the truth. Why do you need hundreds of books, thousands of books of everyone's opinion on how to do this? You see, in God's goodness, through his word, as we will discover in a few minutes, he is good to us because he leads us on a pathway to find comfort eventually comfort in the midst of sorrow and pain and mourning. This also forces us to examine ourselves. May I go deep for just a moment? I'm going to anyway. Just a a question to ask. When we dive deeply into our lives and we really have some introspection, We're going to come to a place where we're going to truly embrace this verse eventually. And in order to do that, we must have three things that happen. First, we must have true knowledge of ourselves and of society. That means we have to have the correct glasses to put on ourselves so we can see ourselves clearly. 
and we can see the rest of society clearly. And I think we can see society pretty clearly. Everyone is a critique of society. This is wrong with society, and that is wrong with society, and on and on and on and on and on. And this is what's wrong with these people, and this is what's wrong with those people, and this is wrong with my kids, and this is wrong with my spouse. We, we pretty much got that nailed. How about when we look at our own hearts? Do we have that as nailed as much? Or do, how sometimes do we take our glasses off so we can't see as clearly? Because there's something there that's lurking that we don't like about ourselves. And we don't want to address. St. Augustine said, um, the Beatitudes, if you really want to get down to the nitty gritty and understand the Beatitudes, you have to know yourself. And that true knowledge comes from fearing the Lord. There's a passage in Proverbs. You don't have to turn to it if you don't like. But it's on uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 9 verse 10. It says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So if we really want true knowledge. And true knowledge of ourselves. And true knowledge of society. When we're in the midst of pain and agony and hurt. The first place to start is fearing God. Now, when we talk about fearing God, it's not the, oh, fear. It is the reverence and awe of, oh, my gosh. You mean there's someone who created the heavens and the earth just by speaking it to existence? Let's try something for just a moment. Think in your mind with all of your power, and I want everybody to say Camelback Mountain. Say it loud. Camelback Mountain. Did it appear? But when God spoke, it did. That's a sense of fear. That's a sense of awe, sense of reverence. Something so great that it could speak something into existence. It's the knowledge of, of Him who knows every hair on our head. Every thought before we speak it, every feeling before we feel it, every action before we act it, every knows everything about us. That he fearfully and wonderfully knitted us together in our mama's womb. Did you know when it comes to cell development that in order for a cell to replicate, it has to replicate? replicate exactly like a, a piece of paper on a copy machine and there's a sequence of four different things that have to happen in sequence and there's six different parts to the cell and if none of those things happen in sequence what happens the cell then still creates but it's an abnormal cell now that abnormal cell can be benign or it could be malignant malignant cells are cancer and yet we have billions and billions and billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of cells in our bodies. And nearly every one of those cells has a different function. This thing happens automatically. We don't have to think about it. It's been designed within our DNA. Who created the DNA? God. That's when we begin to think in depths of like that, we're like, oh, yes. Praise God. God. He is far greater than I could ever think or imagine. The second thing is, 
when we really begin to embrace this verse and we really begin to consider it, our lives are burdened to the breaking point. And we have nowhere else to go but turn to the Lord. Now, if you've lived for any period of time, you've experienced this. You don't know where else to turn. So you turn to God with open arms and open hands. And you groan and you cry and you mourn. And you're like, God, just relieve me of this. I can't go another day. Lord, my heart is is overcome with anxiety. It's overcome with pain. It's overcome with fear and doubt and despair. Lord, I don't know where to go except to you. And the Lord would say, yes. Thank you for coming to me, for I am your refuge. I am your shield. I am your protector. I am your comforter. In fact, I have loved you so much, as Jesus would say, that when I leave, as Jesus told his disciples, I leave, I am going to send you my comforter. That is my Holy Spirit that is going to dwell in you. He will always be with you as I will be with you. And I will be praying for you in heaven. I will take all of those words that you don't know that that are in your heart and I will translate them into my Father's ear and we will hear your prayer and we will respond and answer you. The third is our wills have to be willing to give up the comfort. And I would say in a very delicate way, the foolishness of current life. For the future comfort is a better life. There are many people in in this world, and we may know quite a few of them, who are trapped in this idea of being in their comfort zone in this world, and they don't know anything different. And so they keep going back to the trough one time after another after another, drinking the same dirty water. And we, as Christians, and as as Jesus would say, no, 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 I am the living water. Come to me. Now, you're going to have to come out of your comfort zone. You're going to have to come out of your current foolishness. You're going to have to have some wisdom and rely on me. But that will that you have that wants you to be where you are, you've got to, you've got to turn from that and turn to me. When we find these things and do these things, they're tough, deep things to do. We will find a comfort in the Lord. He will come to us and meet us exactly where we are and nurture our hearts and love us back to health. So how do we do this? Number one, follow Jesus one step at a time. The Beatitudes are a terrific roadmap to a relationship with Jesus. First step is to know that you're poor in spirit. Know that you don't know it all, and there might be something out there greater than yourself that knows it all. Second is once you realize that, and once you realize the life you have, you're like, oh my gosh, I might not know everything I know. And there's a sense of mourning that comes over. Of, gosh, look at the things that I've missed. 
And then there comes this wave of humility that comes over you. Blessed are the meek, right? This idea of humility is like, gosh, I really don't know everything. Maybe I ought to listen to somebody else. Well, then what do I listen to? This is when we start to hunger and thirst for righteousness because we need new information. We need new input, new data. We need new truth to help us through these times. And then it goes all the way, all the, all the way through the rest of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes leads us one step at a time to a close relationship with Jesus. Jesus is calling us to a higher life by embracing the difficult seasons of our life, not fleeing them. And as we walk down the stairway of our life, we are actually climbing the stairway into heaven. The second is that we rest in his promise. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That is a promise from the Lord. One of the things that we know about promises of God is that he has never gone back on a promise. There are some promises that he hasn't fulfilled yet. But when he does and we look back on the history and we're in eternity and Jesus' return, we will look back and confidently say that God had never reneged on one promise. Now think about that in terms of your life. How many times have we reneged on promises? Me, more times than I could ever count. And I'm ashamed of that. For God, he never, ever, ever reneges on a promise. So in the Beatitudes, Jesus points us to a picture of the kingdom of heaven. Remember, um, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then near the end, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is what's known as a bookend in Scripture. And the things that are in between, like blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is going to be part of the picture of what the kingdom of heaven is going to look like. We are assured that this is going to happen. We can carve it in stone that we are going to be comforted. This is the reason why that song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine is so wonderful to hear for our hearts and our souls. Third, look to the future and believe it. Our story is not complete. Our afflictions, our pain, and our sufferings are only temporary. Now, I know they may feel like they're going on and on and on forever, but when you look at eternity, from eternity to the beginning to the eternity to end, however that looks, man, we are like a sliver of time. And within that sliver of time are these temporary sufferings, pain, and afflictions that we have. The prophet Isaiah wrote this. This comes out of Isaiah chapter 60, verses 19 through 22. He's, he's envisioning this future glory of what this is going to look like. He says, The sun shall be no more your light by day, 
nor brightness shall be the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall go, uh, shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord shall be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Promise, 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 promise. Cross my heart and hope to die. We have victory. And in the very end of Scripture, chapter 21 of Revelation gives this beautiful picture of what the new heaven and new earth is going to look like. Chapter th- or in uh, verse 3 of chapter 21, the Apostle John writes this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, I'm going to pause for just a moment. It's just not a simple wipe like we would. This is an actual idea of, of a finger going inside of the eye into the tear ducts and stopping the tear ducts from even flowing. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more and there will be no more mourning, no crying and no pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Our future is bright, my friends. Look to the future and believe in it. This is what got those enslaved Africans through the day, I'm convinced, is relying on these scriptures and saying, man, life sucks bright now, but it's just a sliver in time for the all-time eternity and being with him forever and ever and ever. And at some point, God is going to come back and he's going to judge all these yahoos, all these old pharaohs. And I'm going to live victorious. None of this would be possible without Jesus being present in your life and his spirit dwelling in your heart. So come close to him who are those who are weary and heavy laden, for he will give you rest. Here's the point. Trust God and rest in his word, for he will bring you comfort in his mercies, or as his mercies are new, every morning.